Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Thursday, June 11th of 2020. We have had uh, a tremendous time in the Word as we have been in our series of the days of Noah that we began this Monday. Yesterday in particular was a a tremendous uh, revelation that the Lord uh, gave us concerning the the genealogy of where Noah came from. And we traced him all the way to Adam, to Seth, and, and the Lord. And I recommend you, if you did not have a chance to listen to the podcast yesterday, that you do, and and God will, will speak to you in a mighty way. We are so grateful to all our listeners that are tuning in from wherever part of the world that you find yourself. Thank you for joining us today as we fellowship in the Word of God. It's always a pleasure to be here with our panel, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremiah, to be able to study the Word of God together in such a time like this. And without further ado, Brother Marty, we leave uh, we leave it to you and for you to share what God has placed in your heart today as we study the Word of God together. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be back. Uh, we're excited about today's uh, broadcast or podcast, whatever we want to call it. And uh, we are part four of the days of Noah, uh, as the Lord told us in Luke chapter 17, verse 26. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And so we know that he put that information out there for us and was alerting us, or that would be the future generation from the time that he spoke it, that there would be certain characteristics certain signs, certain markers uh, for an end-time generation to begin to pay attention. And so we began on Monday to dig into what the Lord was referring to as the days of Noah. And notice he uses the word or the phrases days, indicating a long period of time that led up to the culmination of those days, which resulted in in, in the judgment of, of the world that then was. And so we, before we begin our study today, we're going to read a few scriptures. Uh, we're going to start today in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, please open your Bibles, those of you who follow along with us and study with us. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 6, and we'll continue with part 4 of the days of Noah. And I'm going to read... Uh, verse 8 and verse 9. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So we're going to begin. That'll be our, our where we conclude today. Uh, and 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 before that, we're going to do a little bit of a review here, and 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 talk about some things uh, today that we haven't touched on yet, and some things that we we have. But it'll it'll conclude with with verse nine and eight and nine, uh, because Noah really is a type or a foreshadow uh, beyond just being who he was at, at his time. Jesus refers us to his time because he wants the last day, the remnant church, those that are living in similar days as Noah, to understand and to reflect 
upon the quality of the character that he possessed, because the question has to be asked, what was it that determined that he was the one and his family that was selected to, uh, to, to preserve humanity? And we encourage you, like Brother Jeremy said, to, look, uh, to, to, to listen to podcast number three and to hear uh, in, in greater detail um, why that is and, and what it means in verse eight when it says that Noah found favor. But we want to do a little bit review here because when we get to chapter six of the book of Genesis from where we just read, what begins to happen is, first of all, we, we're given an account in chapter four of Genesis of Adam and Eve, and they produced two sons, Abel and Cain. And we know the story that Cain slew Abel, and and uh, and and that left Adam and Eve with just one son. And then, as we come to the conclusion of chapter four, our attention is drawn to to the third son that Adam and Eve uh, had, and his name was Seth. And 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 then so concludes uh, chapter four with the statement that Seth fathered a child by the name of Enos. And it says, at that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Then it gives way to chapter 5 of Genesis, <clears throat> where a genealogy is given. And the genealogy begins all the way back with the creation of, of Adam. And it starts there, and it flows from Adam through Seth. And, and, and the subsequent entire fifth chapter gives the lineage of what we have come to see and understand is the holy seed because remember once we get to chapter five there's no more mention of cain his genealogy terminates in chapter four and there's reasons that the holy spirit had moses who wrote the first five books of the bible recorded that way because god is trying to uh, turn our attention to a specific thing that he he's going to reveal and culminate with uh with the salvation of Noah and his family. And we'll get into that in a second. But chapter five is basically recording the, the, the final uh, 10, or actually the 10 generations that would be from Adam to Noah. There would be 10 generations. But our attention is drawn to this particular family line through Seth, as we said. So what you're reading in Genesis chapter five is the account of, of the generations leading up to the flood. And so when we get to Genesis chapter 6, <clears throat> what God then begins to do is, is open up information to us. Now, remember, Jesus told us, pay attention to this, as it was in the days of Noah. And so what he begins to do in, in many respects is, in the first seven verses, is to lay out a judicial case as if the judge is sitting on his bench and, and, and presenting arguments for why he's about to destroy all of humanity and creation, the birds, the, the the creeping things on the ground, the cattle, everything was about to be inundated. And he begins to lay his case. And Genesis chapter 6 really reveals uh, the first time, that is history that then was, the ancient time. Uh, and, and the age, as Genesis 6 opens up, we are now entering into the final 120 years of human history that then was. And God begins to lay forth the case and begins to reveal to us some, some very specific things that Jesus told us 
to take note of because it would be a signal to us who would witness the similar types of conditions and circumstances, as he said, that would that would foretell and alert his church of that time, which we believe is our time, and, and we can make a case for that, which we're trying to do, that he would soon return. So like Brother Jeremy pointed out yesterday in verse 1, the Bible says that it came to pass, chapter 6, verse 1, that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man, for he is also flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. So when we were discussing that yesterday, what we saw was that God now limits and begins to decree a limitation as, as human history that then was, was put on notice. And basically, uh, it was being revealed in the councils of heaven, if you will, that the events of, of, of mankind upon the earth were about to draw to a conclusion, and 120 years was all they had left. What verse 1 reveals to us, also, it says that men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And as Brother Jeremy pointed out yesterday, what that indicates in our modern language is that there appears to have been some sort of population explosion, some sort of increase in the amount of humans that were on the face of the earth, and, and it began to increase rapidly. And it is one of the signs, just as a little side note that we were discussing yesterday, that from the point of of Moses and the account after the flood until we reach our time, the 20th century, end of the 21st century, it took approximately 5,000 years, roughly, before humanity's population reached a billion people. But when we got into the 20th century, we went from 1 billion people in less than 100 or so years to almost today, where we have almost 8 billion people on the planet. I think the figure you gave us yesterday was 7.8 billion people. Right. So 5,000 5, years for 1 billion uh, a little over a hundred years to add an additional seven billion people, and so right. that alerts us right off the bat that that right away we could say, okay, Jesus told us to pay attention to the, what was going on in the days of Noah, and if we go back and review verse one, right off the bat tells us there was a population explosion on the earth of the earth that then was, and now we see in our time a tremendous explosion. Men are definitely multiplying on the face of the earth. So it is a marker. It is a sign. It is just one of the indications that God begins to draw our attention to. But then we get to this curious statement in verse 2, where it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they took wives of all which they chose, and, and then we go right into verse 3 where it says, my spirit shall not always strive with man, right? It'll be but 120 years is all he's got left. What's interesting to me <clears throat> is that when God draws our attention to the sons of God, he immediately goes right into verse 3 and says, now time is going to be limited. And and so 
<laughs> it's very interesting to look at that because what's actually being revealed by the Lord there is the earth became violated. You know, a contingent of of, of rebellious angelic forces, if you will, um, appear to have to have uh, to have violated their habitation. And I asked Brother Jeremy earlier if he would confirm this for us because Jude. Uh, in the in in the book of Jude writes about this, and and he reveals what God is revealing in Genesis six. He enlarges on it, and and he does so by quoting uh, from the book of Enoch. He begins in verse five, where I'm going to have Jeremy read, and six. He he then goes into revealing who these sons of God were. Now to be to be honest. You know, there's great debate among scholars as to that term, sons of God. And we don't have time to get into all that, but it, it uh, there's three different forms of opinion as to who they were. Some say they were, it was the line of Seth, but we believe yesterday we proved that's, that's not right. <laughs> because never, right. Uh, you know, because it goes on and, and, and describes the kind of offspring that emerged from the daughters of men whom these fallen angels took for wives as as nephilim you know this this mm-hmm. this uh, gross distortion of humanity right these these giants of old as the bible describes them and, and we're not going to get into that very much but what i do want to show is that that the new testament confirms who these individuals were and and jude says i want you to remember this i'm going to put you in remembrance of this and 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 brother jeremy would you read that in jude uh, verse 5 and 6. Yes. 5 and 6. Sorry about that. I forgot to put my second eyes on my glasses. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he had reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Incredible. What's really profound, and we we won't get into that today, but just as a little side note, he's addressing the church, the first church, the early church. And and he tells them about something. He says, I want to remind you of two things, really. And the reason that he's putting it this way is because he, he reminds them of how God saved Israel out of Egypt. Right. And, but, he, but then he says, but he didn't even spare them. Even though they were his special people, even though they were his, his uh, chosen people coming out of Egypt, he says uh, that having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards he destroyed them that believe not. And then, then he talks about the fallen angels. So what he's basically saying is if, you know, God didn't even spare his own angels and, and neither did he spare his chosen people. It's a warning. He says that, (laughs) that don't think just because, you know, you have the label of being God's chosen people or, or, or Jesus's church, right. Or whatever that you uh, will not be held accountable for your behavior because and, and and remember Jude goes on to describe some incredible things here 
he quotes Enoch there in verse 6, and he quotes him again later in uh, verse 14, when he references Enoch as being the seventh from Adam. So he's, he's, he's verifying what Genesis 6 is referring to as the sons of God, and he says these are the angels which left their own habitation. They left their parameters. They left their their dimension, if you will, of habitation and broke into the earth. And, and, and he says, these are being reserved unto the great day of judgment. He's referring basically to what John refers to of that great day of judgment uh, is that final day when God will judge all of creation, both the angelic hosts that fell and, and the wicked throughout the ages will all be culminating on that final day of judgment. So what we need to do really is understand, like, in their time, what this reveals. Remember what Jesus said again, as it was in the days of Noah, it's the same unleashing of demonic power upon corrupted men, which appears to be uh, inferenced when the Lord says, pay attention to Noah's day, what happened in those days. And he seems to be revealing that just like in Noah's days, there will be a, a, a flood of demonic corruption that begins to sweep over humanity. And without being too graphic, remember it says in Genesis 6 that their target, and I don't want to rush through this because it's interesting and it's, and it's informative. Notice, let's look at verse 2. Can you read 6-2 to us, Jeremy, in Genesis 6-2? Genesis 6-2, it says uh, <clears throat> that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Right. So, again, let, let's just take a look at this. You know, Jesus said, now go back and, 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 and review the days of Noah because it's going to be very similar. And what we learned from that as Moses pinned it by the anointing of the Spirit who uh, and God who was revealing it to him, is that what I find interesting is that when these angels uh, left their habitation, their interest was directed toward the female population. It began with the daughters of men. It's another sign. See, it indicated that a shift in the behavior of the female population occurred. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's a sign. Remember what Jesus said, you know, so when we go back and look, we see there's a population explosion followed by uh, an unleashing of demonic forces. For those of you uh, who would be interested, go back and listen to some of those podcasts where where we talked about the Nimrod connection. We talked about, um, you know, the connection between uh, uh, the things that began to happen, whether it was Aleister Crowley or or, uh, or or Jack Parsons or Madame Blavatsky of the early 20th century and how they began to uh, to do uh, very, very bad occultic things. And we laid out the premise there that followed by that. We saw World War One. We saw, you know, the advancement of technology. We saw World War Two explode. We saw all kinds of crazy things begin to happen. And and. Uh, and and so we, we we believe we've already begun to see way back then the infiltration once again, like Jesus said, to pay attention to the days of Noah, like it was in the days of Noah when the sons of God left their habitation. 
and they came. Now, they broke from their dimension into our dimension, and their attention is drawn toward the female population, towards the daughters of men. And and I, I just want to take a time here because we're, we're being referenced, like we just read Jude. I want to read you something from, from the book of Enoch. Now, again, this is uh, an extra biblical source. And so we take it for what it says. Uh, I'm not saying it's scripture, but I am saying this, that Jude quoted from it and was very familiar with it. He quotes from it in verse 6. He quotes from it in verse uh, 14, I think it was, where he mentions Enoch. Is that is that right? Is that verse 14, brothers? Let me see. Yes, it's verse bit. 14 and verse 15. Yeah. Yeah. Verse, so, verse. Yeah, look what he quotes. Uh, can you read that to us, brother? In verse 14 yeah. and 15 of Jude. Yes. And it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Isn't that interesting that one of the characteristics that is bringing the second coming of the Lord as revealed to Enoch, which Jude is quoting from Enoch's writings, um, is hard speeches. And, and when yes. we look at, right, and when we look across the the landscape of the globe right now and all the uprisings, the the uh, the rioting, the the protests, and everything's being you know, desecrated really uh, on all sides. It doesn't matter what political persuasion you're from. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's fighting. Everybody's, you know, doing what they're doing. And and it's interesting that God describes it in the book of Jude as hard speeches. You know, we see the same yes. thing happen. But my point is, is that <clears throat> in Genesis 6, 2, like we said, what Jesus told us to pay attention to and what Moses is revealing as God dictated it to him, what what was happening back then in the first time before the flood, he says is that this group of supernatural beings, if you want to call them the, the angels, the Elohim, the sons of God, it's the same phrasing that's used in, in Psalm 82, the Elohim, that they're called the sons of God. In Job, when uh, there was a day when the Elohim came before God, the sons of God came before God and Satan come among them. So it's the same word. And 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 uh, in these in these in the case that's being uh, presented by the Lord in Genesis six of why it's necessary for the flood, it begins with a population explosion followed by an unleashing or a leaving of their habitation, as Jude described it, quoting Enoch, and their attention is immediately drawn to the daughters of men, which by that we can surmise that this is an indication. And, and a revelation that the behavior of the female population began to change as they were influenced by demonic power. And I want to quote you from the book of Enoch here uh, as to what actually happened, you know, in according to the book of Enoch. Now, and we're only Marty, Yeah, go ahead. Uh, before you get into the book of Enoch, <clears throat> I was just thinking about, you know, why it is that most of the modern church doesn't teach on these things. Um, and it so happens that when when there's a lot of views uh, on a particular passage or a chapter, 
you know, different points of views. It seems that preachers shy away from that. They don't yeah. teach those don't don't teach those uh like Genesis six or the book of Revelation. They don't teach that to the body of Christ. And when you do teach it, it's almost like you have to ask the people for permission. Are you okay if I touch on these things? But it's in the right. word. Right? In the word. It's in the word. Right. But but and I think more than ever, these these particular passages, books like the book of Revelation, Genesis six, Matthew twenty four, that are uh that have so many different point of views. We can't go about it like that no more. Right. I think the Holy Spirit wants to bring understanding. And, and these are key passages to fully understanding the whole word. And it's crazy how the, I think the enemy, in a way, has, uh, uh, has managed to corrupt these passages that we're reading to where there's so many point of views. So the people in these last right. days won't have the understanding of what right. took place, because Jesus is referencing the days of Noah, and and the the apostles reference the book of Enoch, right? So we have yeah. to pay attention to these things. We have to really pay attention to these things. Uh, otherwise, why else would it refer to the book of Enoch? Exactly. You know? right. So so I, I just wanted to put that forth. No, no, that's, that's, yes, go ahead. And I know you're about to read the book of Enoch, but also just to. Um, to bring more scripture to what you're saying, the Bible and the book of Revelation does speak that there will be a time where the earth is going to become, in chapter 18 of Revelation, that the earth is going to become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and cage and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird, right? So th there is a time coming that the book of uh, Revelation speaks where we're going to be filled with demonic forces, fallen angels, and so forth. So I just yeah. wanted to bring that up. Yeah, and, and that's and, and that's, that's exactly right, right? So that it, it appears that the book of Revelation is revealing that the same thing is going to be, or quite possibly has already begun, and I believe it already has begun, to be unleashed. Yeah. And, and, and it would take a series of hours to really lay out this case, which, you know, we ain't got nothing else to do. So in the coming days, that'll probably be what we do. But, but you know, when, when we dig into the technology that's being developed and, and, and is already in existence, uh, we see, uh, you know, some of the things that these modern day quantum physicists are talking about is opening dimensions. They use that language. Uh, the head of of the uh, of the Large Hadron Collider CERN, they call it in in Switzerland. Uh, I don't I don't know if he's still there, but he was the head for many 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 years, and 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 stated on his on his opening statement on the website, which is a, a particle beam accelerator, which is over 17 miles in circumference, buried over 1,500 feet under the ground, which is what they do is they they send. Uh, atoms or particle beams uh, in a circle and then collide them, it, causing these massive uh, explosions uh, in the unseen realm. Basically, you need these kind of instruments to see what's going on. You need computer technology at a level that most people don't even know exists. But what they're trying to do is, is to open up uh, the dimension between the spaces. I mean, that's their stated thesis, to discover the actual beginning moment of creation because what they understand mm -hmm. is that 
in their theory this is, you know, and 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 the Bible seems to indicate that too, that the things which are made are not made of the things which do appear, right? That God stretches out the heavens, so forth and so on. And again, I don't want to go off on the rabbit trailer, but I'm trying to lay this down to to show you where we have reached when when the brightest, most intelligent as it pertains to scientific research minds on the planet are using biblical phrases to describe what it is that they're intending to do. And one of the things they say is that they're trying, they believe and have have already agreed that there are multiple dimensions that exist. They have verified with their own mathematics and calculations and so forth and so on that there are extra dimensions. And some say that, for instance, when we look at the light spectrum, which is how we see things, how we live within the spectrum of light, and you can look at the color code of light, that we live on a very narrow band of that light, that all matter and all that can be discerned and seen exist within a thin ribbon of the light spectrum, and that many other dimensions exist within the spectrum itself and beyond. And what he stated as their goal was to open dimensions, and he said this, to let things in or to send things there. So he was saying, wow. we want to let something out or send something in. That's really crazy language, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what is it you're trying uh, to let out? We just sent, we, we just, we just sent a, a SpaceX, right, uh, into outer space, and, and the, the spacecraft is called the Dragon. The Dragon, right? right? Right. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Come on now. You can't you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. What, what are they doing? What are they trying to accomplish? What are they trying to and what are they saying? Or who are they in contact with? Or what right. is it they're being controlled by? Right? I mean, come on, really? Yeah. You could have called it anything. You know, I mean you could have yeah, called it exactly. you could have called it <laughs> I mean, you know <laughs> you could you could have called it anything. But you call it the yeah. dragon. Incredible. Okay, so and, and, and yeah, that's good. Go ahead. No, let's leave it there, brother. That's that's good. All right. So another thing I want to I want to I want to talk from the introduction of this, uh, as just to lay a little bit before I quote this from the Book of Enoch is is from the introduction of the Book of Enoch. It says there's always been a distinction between uh, protocanical books of the Bible and uh, uh, deuterocanical books. The former being near universally testified to as God breathed by the Church. And the latter, which is deuterocanical, uh, on occasion questioned their canonicity. And <laughs> all fancy words, right? So some are considered to be God-breathed, and some are simply considered to be interesting reads, yet contributors to a fuller picture of what we read in Scripture. So it, it basically goes on to say the former being universally testified to being God-breathed by the church, and the latter on occasion questioned for its canonicity. At the same time, these extra biblical books are held in a higher regard than the truly heretical Gnostic works that were written after the advent of Christianity. While it is unwise to hold the apocryphal extra biblical sources to the same standard as the revealed 66 books of the Bible, we do hold, however, as did Martin Luther, to their value as possibly true and good to read, yet unverified. Apocrypha, that are books which are not considered equal to the Holy Scriptures, 
however, are good to read, quote unquote. That's from Martin Luther. Now, another thing they point out is that the Bible makes uh, mentions and makes allusions to several books that aren't in the current current Protestant canon, such as the Book of Jasher, the Book of Enoch, the Book of the Wars of the Lord, so forth and so on, the Book of Nathan, right? These books are mentioned in the Scripture, and so they exist. Now, uh, we don't have time to get into this great scholarly debate as to as, as to all this other stuff, but <clears throat> what we can do is is appreciate them as an extra biblical source. In other words, something that we can we can read and and try and stay within the parameters of where they're quoted in the scripture. For instance, Jude Jude fourteen and fifteen, Jude five and six. And so I want to read you uh, from that particular book that Jude was quoting from, and and I think we'll see some interesting background here. Now remember what we're talking about: the sons of God leaving their habitation and immediately their attention being drawn. To the female population for a purpose and a reason and and i'm going to show you here in a second lay a thesis out at least that we're witnessing the same thing already taking place first of all it begins this way and i'm just going to read a couple passages uh, chapter one of the book of enoch says the words of the blessing of enoch with which he blessed the elect and the righteous listen to this who will be living in the day of tribulation when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. And so the book of Enoch begins, and this is thousands of years old, and I actually have books in my library that verify the ancient uh, nature of these texts, which in some cases are two, 3,000 years old, uh, uh, which were verified when they discovered um, the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found writings amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are the oldest recorded copies we have of major passages of the book of Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah. And amongst those were portions and fragments of the book of Enoch. So that these, this information in these books are thousands of years old and can be verified today um, through things like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so when I read this first opening passage, it's to set the tone because Jude does the same thing. And and what Enoch, uh, apparently uh, the writer of Enoch says, is that the words were specifically designed for the elect who will be living during the days, the day of tribulation, just before the wicked and the godless at the end of time are going to be removed from the planet off the face of the earth. And he goes on to say, and, and this is where where, <laughs> where Jude quotes, in verse 8, chapter 1 of the book of Enoch, it says, But with the righteous he will make peace, and he will protect the elect, and mercy will be upon them, and they will all belong to God. They will be prospered, and they will all be blessed, and he will help them all, and light will appear unto them, and he will make peace with them. And behold, verse 9, he comes with ten thousands of his saints, and of his holy ones, to execute judgment upon all and to destroy the ungodly, and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness, which they have ungodly committed, and of all the hard speeches or hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord. That is what Jude quoted from 
And this is from Enoch. Now, when we're looking at Genesis, because remember, uh, <laughs> Enoch uh, is quoted in verse 5 and 6, or in verse 6 of, of Jude as well, or referenced there, it talks about them leaving their first estate. And when we read in Genesis 6, 2, like we're showing you, uh, what we see is the sons of God leaving their habitation and their attention being drawn to the female population. And, and, and that's exactly what, Ju what Enoch reveals in chapter 7. It says, uh, speaking of those fallen angels, it says, And all the others together with them took unto themselves wives, the daughters of men. Each chose for himself one wife. And they began to go in unto them and to defile themselves with them. And listen to this. And they taught them charms, enchantments, and the cutting of roots, making them acquainted with various plants. And they became pregnant and they bore great giants unto them. And I'll, I'll stop there because we don't need to get into the graphics of it all. But what I wanted to point out to you is what the book of Enoch Again, the extra biblical source reveals some information to us is that when these wicked uh, fallen angels broke their covenant with God, leaving their habitation. And, and, and what we're reading here is that their attention was drawn to the women and that what they began to do was was teach them, uh, uh, you know, ch uh, charms and enchantments, what, what, what we would call today witchcraft or the occult. And and so what's interesting, again, is Jesus said, pay attention to what happened then, because you're going to see the same thing happen just before I come, like it happened in the days of Noah. And so what we see from verse 2 is that uh, an unleashing of, of evil came into the planet. It was directed at the women, and it first manifested itself in the occult and the rise of the female uh, uh, population in, and, and its embracing of what was being taught to it by demonic power that is fallen angels. And, and so I want to ask the question, is it not strange in our time that the rise of witchcraft like then has merged with the feminist movements of our time, which is the female population, and has arisen in our time manifesting itself in witchcraft and in, in the occult and the embracing of all these kinds of new age things, which are really old age, right? <laughs> and also the abortion of children is what they cling to, which is very interesting because when the daughters of men uh, merged with these fallen angels, a different kind of thing was born, the Nephilim, right? So it is as if the female population, if you can see it, was rejecting regular human sanctity of life. And it's a, it's a chief characteristic of what we see running rampant through the rebellion amongst <laughs> the feminist movement of our time. Anybody got a comment? Right. <laughs> oh, gee. That's powerful. Um, the, 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 the women, well, I don't know if the millennials of today, um, <laughs> Uh, nah, I'd rather not say it. Um, okay, good. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think you know. I mean, we don't need to get go there, you know. Because yeah, you know, Brother right. Fernando was talking. Right. Brother Fernando was talking about earlier how that you know many pastors and so forth shy away from these things, and even those who do talk about it, 
you know, they get all hung up on it, right? On on the sexuality right. of it, the perversion of it. And that's all they ever talk about is, is the angels, the women, the giants. That's not our premise here. What we're laying the case, though, is the characteristics are, are yes. manifesting themselves in our time. We see it amongst the daughters of men, if you will. We see a, a re-emerging of witchcraft and the occult and the new age and all that kind of stuff. Even the, the kundalini yoga stuff that we that I got criticized for, for some podcasts ago, <laughs> talking about yoga in the church. You know why I, I brought that up as, as a little side note? Because we, we've been supporters for a long time of, of a great work that's occurring in India called Mission India. And one of one of our great brothers, um, brother David Unruh, uh, who has been there for, for decades, really 10, 15, 20 years, um, he was telling us that the Christians in India had asked him a question as to what is wrong with the American church. And he said, what do you mean? He says, we have been seeing stuff on YouTube and, and other things we've heard that they're doing yoga in the church, so-called Christian yoga yeah. in the church. And 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 Brother Andrew was relating the story to us, and he says, don't they know that every single one of those poses that they do is a pose that represents a particular god within the Hindu pantheon of demonic gods that, that they worship in India, and that when they enter mm-hmm. into these poses, that what it's designed to do is to attract the demonic god to the body and to fill it. And they were and they were asking him, why are they doing this in the American church? That's why we brought it out before. We see the same thing, these kinds of drives, these occult things, witchcraft things, these demonic things, these embracing of of of, of the old world religious types of behavior and then trying to put a Christian label on it. We are seeing the rise of the same kind of thing as it was in the days of Noah beginning to affect the rebellious female population. And I know that ain't politically correct, man, but it is the word of God. That's what he said. That we had to watch. We had to watch these things and we see it happening. Any comments? You know, the angels that left the first estate and got these women, we know that that's flat out wrong. But it, it, it wasn't just women. They they were destroying families. They were choosing out of me, women that were married, right? Uh, out of, yeah. um, you know, daughters and so forth. And, you know, you, you kind of see today how much polygamy and other words, fancy words that you can use of what's going on today is just, uh, especially in, in in our in our society, that you know, uh, marriage is no longer sacred, right? Man and woman, right? It it, it, it affects every single uh, aspect, and that's what we see. Families are being destroyed with this new way of thinking, you know. But but these angels, they just didn't take any women. They were taking women that were of men, whoever they wanted, you yeah. know destroying the sanctity of, of, of marriage, you know, right. how God sees it. Well, uh, and, no, and, and it's not, that, it's not that we're, it's not a, a it's not sexist to, to speak. It's just the word is saying that there, there's a reason why the angels uh, says, uh, went to the daughters of men, because it's the same thing that happened at the very beginning. The serpent went to Eve. Right. right? And, and she usurped authority. She went over her husband. Right, so there's a reason why the angels uh, came after them, 
and ultimately we saw we see the the empowering of women over the men right it yes. happened in that day in age two we see the same spirit arising today through this feminist movement yes okay and, we, and that's why we see so many men that are effeminate we see so many men that don't know their place in the home and to say you are the leader of your home is to be called a sexist and, and not for <laughs> women right Right. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the order that God left in the home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Now, absolutely. And, that, and again, again, if there's a woman hearing this. There's there's things the Bible says that a woman must do, not because your husband tells you to do it. It's just in obedience to God. Yeah. You know. So so there is an order, a proper, it's a beautiful order, beautiful yeah. order. You know, so so that that's what we're talking about. And that's why the angels went after the daughters of men. Right. And we could really get into some stuff where uh, what they were doing was just so satanic, demonic in nature. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so, so what you see, what you see with the feminist movement at the forefront, what's behind it, it's yeah. ancient spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 again, we we're talking about uh, in in Noah's day a particular segment of society, right? The, that that uh, because we know that Noah's sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth married three women, so obviously there were other women that that didn't participate in this, but it was the seduction of a particular group of the female population by demonic influence, by fallen angels. Basically, we use that word demonic, but I mean they were evil angels. They weren't always that way, but they made a conscious decision. And Jude goes on to say that, hey, you know, they're they're reserved in chains of darkness. Literally, can be interpreted in the Greek as as being bound uh, in in caves and 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 particular places of hell itself, which is reserved for them. And they're being they will be held there until the time of the of the great and final judgment of God which occurs in Revelation chapter 20 right so so what we're talking about is this seduction to to uh, of the female population through the the occult arts which is what apparently it was it was taught to them according to these extra biblical sources that we've just quoted that they engaged in those things and that's why we're laying forth this premise. It's not just the feminist movement in the United States. This is all across the West. And if you really want to get into it, uh, which we're not going to, but I mean, I'll just point this out. When you get into, uh, from my culture, your culture, brother, we, we know about brujerias, right? Santeria, all this mm -hmm. other kind of stuff that occurs in right. all the different places of the world. It's not just in the United States. But you go over into South and Central America and you've got your, you know, your Santeria, you go into Haiti, you've got your Budo, you go over into uh, into England and, and those, yeah, England and, and, and those portions of, uh, of Western Europe, they're all up into that, you know, uh, witchcraft and Gnosticism and, and all kinds. Of, then go over into India. I mean, wherever you go, what you'll see is yes. the predominant force behind it is female, not male, female. And and so when we we were talking about this the other day, when the president was inaugurated three and a half years ago or so, the day after his inauguration, over five hundred thousand people marched on Washington, ninety percent of them women, uh, carrying their abortion signs and 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 openly and blatantly embracing witchcraft, making speeches from platforms, declaring and calling on other witches across the world. 
to every full moon until the uh, the president would be removed from office, they are gathering and doing their chants and their incantations and, and, and all the madness that they're doing. What are we saying? This same spirit has been unleashed, and it is a sign, and it is something that Jesus told us to pay attention to, right? So, yes, <laughs> right. All right, so right. we get to verse we get to verse five, and like we talked about yesterday, we're talking about the explosion of technology. Men's thoughts are on evil continually, because that's literally what it meant, right? It was that thoughts were inventions or machines. That's the literal word that's used there in the Hebrew is a machine. And so when it says that the the thoughts of men were on evil continually, what God was was revealing was that they were they had reached a state near the end of the destruction of humanity of the world that then was before the flood, where technological advancement had reached such such enormous stages that God had to put an end to it because all the technology that they were inventing was becoming evil, and everything by the end was framed specifically for evil purposes. And we talked about that yesterday, whether it's Orville and Wilbur Wright's airplane. Remember we talked about it flew 150 feet, and then some dudes got together and said, man, we could use this kind of flying thing to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or the discovery of the atom, right? The first thing they wanted to do was make a bomb, right? We'll make a bomb. And, and Oppenheimer talked about how he became death, the destroyer of world. What are you saying? We're saying, look, technology, and that was back in the 40s. Technology has advanced to such a, a proportion where now we have an entire surveillance state where the entire globe is being tracked and where there are all kinds of technologies designed specifically to destroy men. And and so God was revealing in Genesis chapter 6 that the same thing, this destructive kind of technology and anything that men were inventing was for the purpose of evil and destruction. Are you there? <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So, so then we come to verse 8, which is where we are today. And, and we spoke of this mystery yesterday, you know, in, in part three, you know, what we were talking about, as the prophetic types uh, are, are basically information concealed. This is what the Lord was trying to say when he said the days of Noah, go back there. And he was telling his church to do that. Go back and look at the days of Noah, because there's information that is concealed there. And as the spirit opens your eyes and reveals it to you through the scripture now, you begin to see if you are that final generation, you'll go, my God, we, we have we have entered into the same kinds of of days. Because that's what Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 26, right? He said, as it was in the days, plural, of Noah, which is the Greek word chimera, days meaning seasons and times. So over an extended period of time, this all evolved. Or it can be understood as the final times which Noah found himself in. Now, as we referenced in Jude's description of the length of the of the leaving of the habitation of the fallen angels, and like we, we, we talked about in the book of Enoch, it, there's something else pointed out there, which is really interesting because it gives context. It, 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 it is said that the actual fall of the angels that, that, that we're reading about here in, in Genesis 6 began in the days of Jared, now, if you go back and look at chapter 5, would you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in chapter 5, verse uh, 16 and, and, and 17 and 18? Yes. And Mahaliel 
lived after he begot Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he died. And Jared lived 162 years, and he begat Enoch. Yes. So it's interesting that Jared is the father of Enoch. And in the book of Enoch, it says that it was during his father's time, Jared's time, that this began to begin to take place in the earth this this leaving of the habitation so it was it was it was an extended period of time that began to unfold as as the whole of humanity began to be flooded and then eventually overtaken so that there was only a remnant left but it began apparently in the days of jared and according to the book of enoch it began at mount hermon which is up in the upper mount uh the mountain in in the most uttermost part north of israel up in the north and and it, to me it's interesting that that uh, Enoch is is is, uh, is the son of Jared and and then right after Enoch it, it's described immediately uh, Enoch has a son in verse 21. Can you read verse 21 and 22? Yes. <clears throat> it says, and Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat notice, sons and daughters. And daughter. So notice what happens here, what God is revealing to us here, is that something took place in Enoch's life at the age of 65, which is really young when you look at the rest of the genealogy and see when other guys were having their sons, right? Enoch has right. a son at, six, at 65, so early on, he fathers a, a son, and and then he calls his name Methuselah, which you were pointing out the other day, Brother Jeremy, which means that when his actual name literally means when he dies, it shall come. When he dies, it shall come. And so it, it is quite possible that it was at the birth of Methuselah that somewhere in there that God revealed to Enoch what we have quoted and what Jude quoted. He saw the second coming of the Lord before the first coming. <laughs> but he also he also apparently saw uh, that that a judgment was going to come when this boy named Methuselah would die. Now, why this is important is because it's one of the of the hints that Scripture gives that something's going on in the holy line, and we talked about this right. yesterday, right? That the holy line had privileged information given to it when we talked about. Uh, Abel dying, and then Seth being born, as as it is described in in Genesis five, that Seth uh, was born to, to to Adam and Eve, and and the way it describes Seth as being in the likeness and the image of Adam, which is the only time that's used that phrase is ever used, is right there. And as we talked about that, we talked about Seth and the holy line of Seth being the foreshadow of the one that would come who would also be known as the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And you go back and listen to that podcast from yesterday, and it will fill in a lot of the blanks for you. But you'll find that in the genealogy that that uh, that Luke, the gospel writer, gives. He starts with Jesus. He ends with Adam. 
and then and then ends with God, thereby proclaiming Jesus to be the Son of God. But when you go through the genealogy, it goes through Noah, and it goes through Seth, it goes through Adam right to God. That was Jesus's genealogy. And what this alerts us to is that a holy seed, a family, a history was now being given through the genealogy of the holy family, which began with the birth of Seth. And, and you go listen to that from yesterday, and a lot of that will be will make uh you know will fill in a lot of the historical blanks for you. It's very fascinating. And it's why Noah found grace. This brings us back to verse eight. Because the Bible says up under these times that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Because remember, like we said, he's a part of the holy lineage. And like I was about to say, so <clears throat> what we know from from uh Josephus's writings, for example, that that uh, there were prophecies given according to the ancient uh, uh, writings of Josephus, apparently by Adam, and that Adam apparently said that the Lord had revealed to him that the world was going to be destroyed by flood and by fire. And this is a well-documented, I ain't got time to go into all the extra stuff, you guys can go do your own homework, but literally that that the world would be destroyed by either by both fire and flood and so that first thousand years of human history the the legend of it if you will or the prophecy of it went throughout the generations and they were they were already expecting something and so by the time we get to what we just quoted about Enoch having a son by the name of Methuselah whose name means when he dies it's going to come we know that that uh, Noah is is going to be born at the same time that these prophecies are 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 existing, and he's going to know about it. He's going to know about these things, and, and and what that tells us is that a future church, just like Noah in the first time when humanity was about to be judged, a far future church that Jesus referenced, which would be experiencing the same types of things that occurred just before the flood would be occurring at the end, just before he would come and judge, that they too would have uh, information and prophetic insight given to them, just like Noah. Remember, he was a part of the holy lineage. He was a type of the future church who witnesses the similar days, like we were saying, as Noah. And like Noah, uh, they are found by the Lord. In other words, remember, let's go back and review this really quickly. When Abel was killed by, by Cain, this is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because, because uh, he suffered a death. He was killed by his brother, just like the Jews killed Jesus. And remember, Abel identifies himself with 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 the lamb, right? A a, a sacrificial right. lamb, right? So we see that Abel is a type of Jesus on the cross, where he would suffer and die. But Seth, which is the son that replaces him, is a type of the second Adam. He's called in the likeness and the image of Adam. He is a, a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, and really is representative of the resurrection. Even even Eve said that and said that God has, has given me another son or a foundation stone or a consolation or compensation. She's given a new seed is how she describes it. So he represents, Seth that is, represents the resurrected Lord. Now remember what we pointed out in Genesis 4.26, that the resurrected Lord represented in Seth, uh, Seth has a son by the name of Enos. 
And it's then that we're told that men begin to call on the name of the Lord for the first time. Not until that son is born out of Seth, who's a type of Christ. And what this represents to us is that the holy line was now established and also was a prophetic foreshadow of the future Seth, if you will, the future Lord, who is within the lineage of Seth, by the way, right? And that that once he uh, comes on the scene, that men will begin to call upon the name of the Lord, just like they did way back in Genesis 4.26, a foreshadow of the one that was yet to come. Jesus, as we pointed out yesterday, tells us in the upper room on the night of his passion in Gethsemane when he's sharing the Passover with the disciples that he had revealed the name of the Lord to his disciples and that then they knew how to approach God. I've revealed thy name to them. Remember what he said. Well, it's the same thing from uh, uh, in Genesis 4.26. Once Enos is born, it says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And the word Lord there is Ehovah, the sacred name of God. It was revealed to them. You will not find that anywhere in the first four chapters of Genesis where God is worshipped by his specific name until then until Seth is born in the image and likeness of Adam and produces his own offspring. And this is a foreshadow of of the church of Jesus Christ being born uh, as the offspring of the Lord and taught who the real God is. And so when we are given that genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, we're given a history, not of all of humanity, but of the holy line of God. And, And it's the holy line established that leads all the way to Noah, which means, in in essence, Genesis 5 is recording history through Seth and not Cain. Why? Because all of Cain's descendants were going to die in the flood. His genealogy was cut off, but it would be the genealogy through Seth, right, which would be saved which is a type of Christ in his church. Again, this is hidden information, and it's for that the spirit. That, that would go on into the new earth, right? Yeah. In, in, into right. The, to new heavens and a new earth, which I know is a type of. That's good. And again, this is hidden information, right? Is this, but it's there in right. the scripture. It's what Jesus told us to pay attention to, but it's spiritually discerned, like Paul said, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so for those of you that are having trouble understanding or following, pause, go back and listen, search the scriptures, do the study yourself, and the Holy Spirit will show you. We're not quoting anything out of scripture here. We're quoting uh, right out of Genesis 4, 5, and 6, right out of Jude, right out of Revelation, right out of Luke 17. We're using scripture to lay our case. Now remember this, that the lineage of Seth, like we said, it's a foreshadow of the lineage that was born to Jesus. And so what what we see is God is recording in Genesis chapter 5 through the line of Seth so that we would know something, what Jesus was trying to tell us. Go back and look, he says, so that just as God followed that holy line from Seth to Noah throughout the generations, which would culminate with the rescue of Noah, right, and his family, uh, it's a type of the end-time church like Jesus said. So we, if you will, the remnant church would know that God the Father has protected and preserved the holy offspring of his son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all generations and promises to rescue us in the end, just like he rescued Noah. He is going to rescue us. Yes. See, and, and he's been watching his church, just like he watched all the descendants of Seth up to Noah. What he was saying there was, church, understand this. That, that, that when Jesus rose from the dead, there would be multiple generations, but that a final generation would come who would be surrounded by all the things that we've been describing, which are revealed in Genesis 6 and Jude, in, in the book of Jude and in the extra biblical sources that we quoted this morning or today. And, and, that, and that what God was literally telling us is that my eye has followed the offspring of my son's uh, the offspring of my son all throughout the generations. And when we come to the end of time, which is why Jesus was telling us, go back and read that story because you're going to see some really, really awesome things. My father, that's why it says, Noah found favor, what? In the eyes of the Lord. That means that, that he came to the forefront, that he became such a different reflection of all the culture around him, that it identified him to the eyes of the Lord as being within the holy line, just as this holy church in the end will come and, and, and burn brightly in the midst of this culture and this society and this planet that has gone absolutely insane. And God yes. is, going to, is going to see it and is seeing it and has been watching it all along. But I want to close with this. And I want you guys to jump in as we go along here, because we're almost done. I know we've gone a little longer today, but we had a lot to cover. But how do we know who the true church is now? How do we know? What are the characteristics? And that's where we want to get to, to uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 9, because, because God reveals. Remember what we quoted in chapter 6, 8, and 9, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, that the, and then he goes on and says this in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Now, I want you to understand when he says these are the generations of Noah, that he's not talking about the children that he was about to bear. Because the actual Hebrew word there is tolda and yalad. And the rabbis tell us that what God is actually referencing there as, as the generations means what Noah produced during his time. But the production that he produced is what he goes on to say. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. He was perfect. And, and he walked with God. And so what the actual Hebrew word is saying is that up under the climate of all this onslaught of evil, wickedness, and the terrible things that you will see in the last days, Jesus was saying, is that the characteristic of my true church, like Noah's church in the day, will be that what they have travailed in, what they have produced, what they are bearing fruit of, is just like Noah. And the first thing that he says is that Noah was a just man. And the word just comes from the Hebrew word zadik, which means that to be righteous in conduct and to be righteous in character. So not only on the outside, but on the inside, that this church will be marked by how it behaves itself and how it behaves itself in private, not just in public. And what's extraordinary to me is that in the midst of this onslaught 
what Noah experienced, the temptations, the the crazy women, you know, doing crazy stuff, right? The the violence on the face of the earth, the technology, all of it, everything that was inundating him. He anchored himself to something. And what was produced out of his life was righteous conduct and righteous character. And what this reveals to us, brothers and sisters, is that I don't care how wicked the, the, the culture is. I don't care how much you're inundated, and our, and we, we're really living in a time of sensory overload, man. Everywhere you go, you're being inundated with images or thoughts or temptations and trials and tests. But this proves to us that we can live and conduct ourselves as proper representations of our Lord Jesus Christ, both in his conduct and in our character. Yeah. Because yeah. Noah found favor because precisely because he rose like a bright, shining light in the midst of a culture gone mad. And it, and, and it was a distinct difference. Brothers and sisters, there should be a distinct difference between us and the world. Yeah. And, 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 right? I mean, there should be an obvious difference between that which calls itself by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that which isn't. But sad to say, we are living at a time, especially in this nation, where you cannot tell because of the watered-down uh, gospel that's being preached in most of the churches today, whether they're large, medium, or, or small, which has presented a, a, a buffet, if you will, before the pseudo-Christian expression that we find in our times saying that you can partake of all kinds of things that are being offered to you by this world so that you cannot be discerned as being different from the world. As a matter of fact, they don't even know you're Christian because you act like them, you talk like them, you dress like them, you listen to their music, you go to their movies, you, 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 you're all caught up in the, in, in the latest pop culture of the day. There is no difference between you and this world and you need to check yourself and you need to ask yourself am i living the standards of the word of god or have i so declined in the way that i walk the way that i dress the way that i think the way that i act in private david said i will set no wicked thing before my eyes when i walk in my house can you say that? Noah could. And Jesus said, that is what I want you to pay attention to. He was a just man. He was righteous in conduct. He was righteous in character. And then God says he was perfect. Yes. That, that word perfect means tamim or tamam. Both words make up this phrase because it's a hint of the glorious church because it literally means to be without spot and to be without blemish and to be finished and complete. So it alludes to the characteristics of the last day church that the Bible said he's coming for. It is a fully grown, righteous in conduct and character, fully grown and completed church without spot and blemish. That's what the word perfect means. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, we spent a great deal of time talking about the horrific 
you know, signs that we were to look for, which we are now seeing, I think we've done a good case of presenting it, are more than evident in our time. But what we're learning from Noah is it is possible to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and still maintain the quality of character that should be exhibited by everybody that calls themselves Christian. Righteous in conduct, righteous in character, unspotted from the world, unblemished, and, and allowed, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring us to that place of being absolutely finished and complete in Christ, where when they look at you, they know the difference between you and the world. So he was without uh, spot and blemish. He was perfect in his generation. This word is different than the generation he mentioned earlier. This word is the word door, and it means perfect in, in his age, in the period of time in which he lived. That's how he was, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. He was a fully developed, fully completed, righteous in conduct and, carrier, uh, and character person in the age in which he lived. And Noah walked with God. The third component, halak. Halak is the Hebrew word. It means to walk alongside, all alongside him, to keep pace with the Spirit, to walk a pace with God, and to behave himself in, in, in a holy manner before the Lord, and to be conversant with God, and to exercise himself in the things of the Spirit. Now, there's a lot there in that word walked, but these three components, were the markers that Jesus was drawing our attention to and the proof that the Christian can walk in this world and be a light, as Jesus told us to, and, and to keep pace with the Spirit of God, to behave ourselves in public and in private, and, and to be marked by our ability to be conversant with the Lord through his word and in prayer, and to exercise ourselves unto godliness. Now look, this puts such a heavy trip on so many people because we're the farthest thing away from that, most of us, from from, from Brother Noah. But something right. begins to happen, right, when we begin to have the word wash over us and convict us and confront us. Some would say, well, you're putting a heavy trip on me. It's all been done at the cross. You know what? You need to listen to another podcast because I ain't got time to talk to you. Now listen, what I'm <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right. Because this this you're the reason that this whole thing's a mess. You guys, ten, twenty, thirty years of this madness has put the people of God into a position of absolute confusion. Where it used to be the standard for over nineteen hundred years of church history that we live different than the world. We talk different than the world. We walk different. We dress different. We sing different. We we, we love different. We are the children of the Most High God, and we're meant to be that distinctive light in the realm of darkness, ambassadors for Christ, making disciples of all nations, a distinct and different, glorious church. And so, you know, consider what this reveals about the Lord's true church, that like Noah and his family, the Lord's church is going to keep itself in the midst of an ever-increasing, sinful, evil, violent, decaying age. And they that do, they that do, they will find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when we pick it up tomorrow, we're going to see 
that that is who God comes to and reveals the time is at hand. Judgment is at hand. And here's what you need to do. And it's the same thing that will happen now and is beginning to happen. He's beginning to say and reveal to many around the world, I'm coming. Open your eyes and see coming of the Lord is at hand. Any closing thoughts, brother? Yeah, we've been speaking about the uh, the second Adam, the lineage of the second Adam, uh, Seth, a type of Christ. That second Adam um, and and Noah uh, in that lineage, and he's representative of a church, like you said in your closing remarks, that will keep itself. And and if the Bible indicates that there's a second Adam, then there must be a second Eve. Uh, <laughs> the church the church is that second Eve, and there is mm-hmm. an Eve, a church, a woman that will not give in to the lies and deception of the devil. Uh, Revelation speaks about a woman whom the the, the dragon will be wroth or angry against. And he will come against the remnant of her seed. Mm. That speaks of us, the church, saints of God. We are that second Eve that will not be beguiled like the first Eve was. And we will find grace when Jesus Christ comes in his sight. Amen. 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 Powerful teaching. Powerful teaching. And this is so needed in our time in this hour. So needed. Um, but but the, And that's the reason why many people are not pursuing what you're speaking about, which is holiness. You know, to be just, perfect, right? Walk with God is holiness. And because right, right. it's not preached, so people are not pursuing it, you know, and because uh, it starts with our, our preachers, they're not living that way, you know, yeah. and so that's why there's no expectation in the people. But it, it is if you truly love God, if God is truly doing something, you are being beckoning. Look, the times that we're heading, we're not going to be able to hide, we're going to reflect who we really are, who we really serve. Lord help us. And, and let me and let me tell you something. Yes, that there has to be the cry of our our heart. Lord, help us. Lord, yeah. help us in this hour to reflect. And it wasn't just Noah, the Daniel's, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had to reflect something in, in the time that they fell in, right? Babylon. Yeah. So, you know, we are, in, in essence, you know, we are the Noahs of our generation, and we shall be known by the character. Right by our character, <laughs> by the way we live. Amen. And what a blessing today, and, and what a challenge to us to continue to pursue Him and allow Him to to form us, to make us into that image. Amen. We pray Amen. that you join us tomorrow as we uh, conclude our, our our week tomorrow Friday, and and I pray that you can meditate on these things that are being said. Uh, that have been brought to this whole series is is, is such so needed uh, to understand what is truly taking place in this hour in our lives. We pray the Lord bless you. We pray the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up.